0: Um, again uh, appreciate these sharings Uh, there's a lot of gems in there and once again I I was just appreciating the decision that he made like well his observation that if you're going to pursue something you're going to end up being successful to some extent so if it's money you're going to be successful to a certain extent and for him uh, that degree of success was well, it didn't make sense in, in light of what he said is a, a truth of the gospel. And, and so he's going to invest it in eternity. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that on a theoretical level, but for him to actually quit his job uh, as a, in the gaming industry, um, kind of reorient his priorities, that's something else. That's, uh, that requires a, a I, I want to say level of faith, but that's just simply faith. Uh, playing itself out, and so um, how did he make that decision? It was, it was, um, yeah, it was based on gospel conviction, gospel truth. So I, di- I did want to talk about that today, the truth of the gospel, uh, particularly as I thought about um, uh, the message that I want to give after Easter, because we we all celebrated Easter together and had um, an acknowledgement of Jesus' resurrection. But what what does that how does that affect our life today so uh, i'm going to read from colossians chapter 1 verses uh, just the first 6 verses and just follow along with me paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god and timothy our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in christ at colosse grace to you and peace from god our father we always thank god the father of our lord jesus christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So, I'm going to go back to verse 3 and Apostle Paul says I thank God for you uh, particularly uh, I heard about your faith in Christ Jesus we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints and he, he where is this faith and love springing from and we can see here it's because of the hope laid up for you in heaven now how does that work well the faith And love for people is only possible if you have an eternal timeline, which is the hope in heaven. If you don't have that, and the timeline is just simply this earth, this life, this 70, 80 years of life that you might have, then I would argue then, man, that causes a lot of anxiety because life just becomes an ever-closing window. I say ever-closing window because with every passing year, right? It's just less and less time left for you. And so you have to fight for things on earth because life is an ever-closing window. And consequently, I think that anxiety just increases over time because you sense limited time, you sense limited resources. And then the things on earth then take on greater proportion. And so when I say things on earth, whether it's degrees that we pursue... um, your position, salary, house, family, whatever it might be, that takes on greater value. And of course, that kind of attitude then chases out any notion of trusting in God. And so there's nothing like a funeral to really bring home reality that everything in life has a shelf life. And I was at a funeral this past um, week in San Diego, uh, California, and... um, met some people here's a picture i wanted to show just for the sake of maybe stanley and nana you know because these are the seniors in our a2f uh san diego church and then i actually had a chance you know you have these reunions at funerals right sadly it's like it's a opportunity to kind of have all the people friends past and present come together and my old life group was there Um, some of them are members of our church now and some of them are members Uh, of other churches but they all came together along with mentors and so we all took a picture together that was pretty cool for me Um, but yeah this uh, was a time to remember John Coe one of the peers here uh, his dad's passing and it's all incidentally Sonny's cousin so we were there for the funeral and man I was just thinking uh, yeah a funeral reminds you that life just becomes an ever-closing window because you enjoy things for a while, and for a moment, John's dad, he didn't have much, but, you know, during the eulogy, his son John said, yeah, his mantra was friends and food, you know, (laughs) just make sure you have friends and food, and he took that to heart, believe me, John said he took that to heart, and it's because in the long run, uh, what, what does one keep with you, you know? Uh, after this life is over. And so what the resurrection has done is that it has provided real hope in heaven, not just wishful thinking or just optimism, but a confident expectation because Jesus conquered death. And this hope then provides a generosity of spirit that is unavailable for people who just see life as an ever-closing window. I think because you have that eternal timeline, it enables you to then focus on investing in people like David shared in his testimony. Like, yeah, like people are forever, so I'm going to invest in that. And so you realize, because of the resurrection, life becomes now an expanding window, not a closing one, because the moment that Christ saved you and I when we placed our faith in Jesus, our eternity began with Him. So it be, it's like the beginning of an expanding window. I'm at the beginning of a life that will not end. Therefore, I don't have to then clamor for my piece of the pie now. I don't have to engage in this inordinate focus uh, on outdoing others out competing somebody amassing things and see who survives life at the end no this is a eternal outlook that's driven by um uh, yeah life is, is 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 beyond that and it's not simply limited by my my life here on earth so what does hope laid up f- uh, for uh, in heaven do for you um i think that's a, a question that that you have to, that all of us have to think about, because it should enable us to trust God with your future. You don't have to fight and fidget for every little thing, but you can actually relax. Uh, Not that you just chill and do nothing, but there is something to placing your faith in Christ for all things, which means instead of constantly fretting over pursuing your own agenda and trying to squeeze out of your life whatever benefits that you can, you can choose to invest in things that will last forever and ultimately that means people and you don't have to always seek to maximize your potential here on earth. And you go, wow, that's a great cost because even David was sharing about like how that that comes with a cost. But I would argue like what's the alternative? Because I think the alternative is you pursue your agenda, but I've lived life now long enough to know that life is messy. That you can choose to pursue your own agenda, but you know, like, you know what happens, and you might have relatives that are like this, or friends that are like this. Much of people's energies end up going towards trying to fix the problems that inevitably come as you seek to pursue that agenda. Why? It's because of our own sinfulness, it's because of people's sinfulness, because we live in a broken world. There are so many things that we can't control. There's disease, there's uh, accidents, a uh, steady even eroding of your mental health, um, and just emotional stability as you get older. And so it leaves one to wonder, like what can you control and And then you take a step back and you realize it would be foolish to rely on yourself to achieve things when we are ultimately feeble in our strength. So then why place our hope in ourselves? That's why I said, like, well, what's the alternative? You place your hope in heaven. It's grounded in something. It's truth. So verse 5, it says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understand the grace of God in truth. So the word truth appears twice here. So just want to emphasize from this passage that the gospel is truth. Just let that sit for a while because it might be a whole bunch of things to you. Maybe it's uh, because of the gospel it's community forging and through it this past year you've experienced a lot of nice memories it is that Uh, or it might just simply be um, helpful for just your overall like health like i don't know maybe not the food Uh, sometimes we don't provide the healthiest of foods but but maybe just community and it causes you to uh, feel um, a sense of stability and and strength, and maybe even um, allows you to overcome a lot of human dysfunction that's found in our society. Um, well, the gospel can provide all of those resources, to be sure. But, like, what is all of that if it's not ultimately true? Like, in in that sense, the gospel's not worth much because I could think of a lot of other things that provide those things. And so. The gospel is truth. We need to wrap our mind around this because the problem is that the truth value of the gospel and the truth value of just truth in general, this is something that I think our society is losing uh, grip on and it's not just me noticing it now. I think this has been the case for a while. Uh, We have been almost rewired to lose connection with truth whether it's through social media or just through educational institutions, what we are taught, that just the relativistic, secular culture that we, live, we are living in, so that, in fact, the fact that there is truth, uh, it's just nonsensical these days. It's lost its meaning. So when I say the gospel is truth, like, what does that mean? Because even truth itself is, is no longer affirmed as, as something that can be arrived at. Pilate, Responding to Jesus And saying what is truth It's a perspective that I think Resonates more 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 than ever What is truth Because ever since I think the dawn of history Human history There's been like this cosmic battle Between truth and lie And If you remember it started in the garden At the beginning of this school year We were going through Genesis And Genesis chapter 3, the devil comes in the form of a serpent and engages Eve in a series of subtle lies, starting with Did God really say? Um, wow. Is that the devil or is that like. That timing was amazing, though. So. And it's kind of freaky, actually. But I have hope in heaven, so I'm good. All right. Okay, did God really say? Okay, all right. Well, um, anyway, I was just thinking about this. Like, truth and lies, did God really say? I think that's probably the first, like, tweetable statement, right? I think um, in history, probably, did God really say? You know, Eve believes in this lie, and then reaches out for that fruit, and then crosses God's boundary. And what is the lie? That when you do so, when you decide to call your own shots, then presumably the world would be a better place. Uh, when you have power and control like that, then, then you're going to make the best of, of one's life. Now, this is a lie that has been repeated throughout our society for many generations. So it's this cosmic battle between truth and truth, and lie. And it's just waged more subtly now in our culture in that truth is no longer even something relevant as I was saying earlier. You could, um, it's it's not something that people agree that even exists, that truth exists. And therefore people don't even argue about what is true anymore. Because if they did, I think what would happen is people can readjust accordingly Regardless of what side of the spectrum that you believe, whether it's political, social, whatever it might be, you could adjust your beliefs according to that truth. Now, people just silence those who are not in agreement with your own beliefs. And it's like, what is truth? Like, that doesn't really even matter or enter into the discussion anymore. It's just my perspective versus your perspective. And this has led to widespread, I think we're, people are in agreement, this has led to exhaustion, and societal dysfunction. And so somewhere I think Satan is laughing because I think he is the ultimate instigator. So this battle between truth versus lie, the gospel is truth. How does that sit with you? We need to all become truth seekers, recover this understanding that truth can still be arrived at so that Truth wherever it is found and primarily in Scripture about who we are, what is our problem, about who God is, what is our ultimate destiny, and what is morality. All of that, like if it is true, we need to be able to arrive at that and then make sure that our lives align with it. So the Bible presents the gospel as truth in very black and white terms. It's either truth or a lie, it's God or Satan, it's heaven or hell, and in that sense, I think truth has a hard edge to it. Now, G.K. Chesterton says it this way, it is always simple to fall, there are an infinity of angles at which one falls, only one at which one stands. So in that sense, truth has the harsh edges of exclusivity and, and being coercive But that's just the nature of truth, and it therefore must be allowed to assert itself when we encounter it. So we need to cultivate this love for truth, and I just really encourage, especially all the students, because I know that this truth-lie battle is particularly evident on your respective campuses, professors, the curriculum, everything, and so that's why, like, it's just, like, shameful to be Christian, right, to even say gospel is true, like you can't get away with that in our society. So, no, I understand like I'm railing in some respects against the culture of this relativism about truth, but I am also self-aware, and I think we need to be self-aware, that we are relativistic when it comes to ourselves, when it comes to the truth in terms of how we respond to truth. Because how do you respond when truth confronts you? When, because I think it's one thing when truth is presented as a set of ideas and it takes the form of some hypothetical or something abstract like, the, like God exists and, and then you're presented with the Kalam cosmological argument and you go, yeah, God exists. That's one thing. But it's another when truth confronts you and says God has a claim on your life and then we're talking about your time, we're talking about your money, we're talking about your resources, we're talking about your sexual behavior, and then suddenly when that truth confronts you, we reject it because it comes as an inconvenience or, uh, yeah, it comes as an inconvenience to our life or to our plans or to our preferences and desires. I remember like in middle school and people weren't good at math, uh, our te- there were our, the middle school teachers Would say, you know, everyone out there, you know, you do go out and do recess, but for those people who did not make the cut, actually this is back in the 80s, okay, did not make the cut, you have to stay in class and do extra problem sets, you know, instead of going out to recess, now that's inconvenient to be sure, but if if a student really wanted to align himself with truth, they have to say, yeah, I'm not good at math, I have to stay and work on these problem sets and even if it's inconvenient i.e. i can't go out and play with my friends to affirm that truth is to just stay and work at it even to your own shame right so that is just with that example of math but what if it comes to your life your goals truth comes at you with regards to the sins in your life. Do you, in other words, have some experience in your life when truth comes at you in the form of some kind of personal confrontation and what have you done about it? Do you have that readily recollectable experience of your ego or your desires being convicted by the truth and then that leading to some kind of surrender of your autonomy because that will reveal whether or not you actually believe gospel is true. And so um, I w- maybe we could share about that with the person next to you. Did you ever have this experience? So uh, I'll give you like a, just a moment to think about that. And if you're ready or if you're open to sharing about that, maybe you can, maybe you can share. And if you're not, then this could just be a moment for you to just kind of think about, yeah, why not? So let's do that. Yeah, so even um, just that brief um, exercise, um, I don't know if you had a recollectable experience, but uh, that should become more and more common the longer you're Christian, because as Christian, we are staking our lives on this truth, that the gospel is true, that God is God and that we need saving, and so we should have a regular experience of submitting to that truth. And why is this important? Because of the stakes. When we reject the gospel truth, we're not just rejecting a set of ideas, we're, we're rejecting that relationship and the implications that it has for our eternity and not just on this life. So we need to be seekers of truth. In the early church, like how that foundation was set among its believers was that this, they revolved, their lives revolved around the gospel truth. And how it netted out for them is that they gave to people who were in need financially. They sold their houses even and lands. Can you imagine that? And then they used those proceeds to help others. They also like sacrificed their autonomy. They met each other daily in the temple courts. And you would imagine that that would have been a difficult choice to make in terms of their own freedom, limiting their freedom. And so we need to similarly start making these decisions. And it's not beyond you guys, especially those of you who are younger in the faith, it's not beyond you to actually start making some commitments. And I realize there's a range of that. Uh, Dave shared about giving up his career as a gaming programmer, but man, like, yeah, there's a range. Uh, I recently met Actually, recently, this past week, uh, I was at UCLA, and I gave the Bible study there and met our former students there, so it was a a nice time. And one of the students that I met as a freshman, he's now a junior. I said, I can't believe you're a junior now, you know. And then I said, next year, you're going to be a senior. And then he said, well, actually, I'm graduating. I said, wow, you're graduating in three years. And he said, yeah. And then I said, like, what are you going to be doing? And he said, yeah, next year, I'm going to be a... Uh, I'm going to be a a PhD in math at Davis. And I said, wow, that's great. Graduating in three years, you'll be a a PhD at Davis. And then then later I found out that he decided, like he's super smart and uh, he could have gotten into a lot of programs, but he decided to limit his choices of where he would apply to grad school to just those areas where our church is at. And it may not be the best program, but he made that decision. That was a concrete step that he was making. And I was like, hats off to you, because what you valued was also your faith, because he became Christian his freshman year, and it just he needed a longer time to cultivate that faith. And if he ends up somewhere in the middle of nowhere, like he 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 recognized this. And I just realized, yeah, for him the gospel is true to that extent. And there are situations that are gonna be like this that will confront you as you get older, maybe not with your, like, money now, because a lot of you students don't have money, Uh, you wish you had more money, and so it's not that, like, you know, like when you say, I give up all my money for God, I mean, what does that actually mean, right? Um, When you get your first paycheck, though, and you see all those zeros at the end, well, maybe you don't get physical paychecks, anyway, um, but... But when I got my first paycheck, I saw those physical check and those zeros. I was like, wow. And then suddenly you're like, no, I don't know. Like, this is my money. And this idea that God is the owner of all of my life, including my money, and I'm just a steward, like, that's a truth that I had to grapple with. So you have to not wait until that moment for that to be your first decision in terms of grappling with the truth. It should start now with whatever choices you have. Like, I remember students would struggle over media and go on 40-day media fasts and say, you know what, for 40 days, I'm not going to do whatever, Netflix, whatever it is, and that was tough. But it was a decision that only made sense if you're responding to gospel truth. And so, whatever it might be, it's an it's a unholy relationship that you're in, Um, If it's like you're too much on the media side, something that's dishonoring to God, and you want to align yourself to that truth, then it's so important that we start making choices and test whether or not you actually believe that the gospel is true. So Apostle Paul is saying, that's why (laughs) he just mentioned it twice, The truth, the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you. Is it bearing fruit since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth? And then he says, uh, so then what is this gospel? And he just says, let's just review what the gospel is in the rest of Colossians chapter 1. And he starts off by saying, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of of the saints in light. So he brings up the word inheritance and what is it? It's the money and assets that you suddenly get from your parents or a rich uncle or aunt, right? It's the inheritance that comes from you through no qualification of your own except that you were just somehow related. And that's what the word that apostle Paul uses when it comes to the gospel, it's an inheritance from God that you've been saved, that now you've been given this hope in heaven and it's through no qualification of your own. But simply, it's given to you. Like, wow, it's like a gift. Inheritance is an amazing gift. And we receive it with a tremendous sense of joy and gratitude. Well, how did that happen? And so Apostle Paul is going through this gospel. And he says in verse 13, Well, it happened he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In whom? In whom? That's through Jesus. What He did on Good Friday, that we as sinners were under the domination and control of Satan and all of the web of lies, but God delivered us from that fog and showed us the truth that He has done something and in, and He did that at, through His Son Jesus accomplishing what he did on the cross in bringing about forgiveness for our sins. And what is the result of that? He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Yeah, we, we were living in, under Satan's rule. And then he transferred us into the kingdom of the beloved son. hate to use a sports analogy here, but you went from the worst team to the best, <laughs> is, is what that means. And Apostle Paul goes on to elaborate then, like just amazing fact of this gospel. How did this happen? How did we become, uh, get transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son? And so he then, he starts to focus on Jesus. Wow, who is this Jesus? Who is this figure that brought about the redemption and forgiveness of our sins? And so he starts by saying, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In other words, he was outside of time and space, and then Jesus entered into time and space after having prepared for centuries a particular people, Israel, and then placed into their culture and their thinking and their psyche categories that would prepare them to understand who they were receiving, and then Jesus finally came on Christmas Day in Bethlehem, grew up as a carpenter, making God visible, physical, through his life. And then he wasn't just merely a Palestinian man. Who was he? He is, he is, he is this, this cosmic Christ, what New Testament scholars call cosmic Christ. By him, all things, all things were created through him and for him. Things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible. The post-resurrection ascended Jesus didn't come into existence at Christmas, but he predated all of that, pre-creation, pre-time. This is who he was. And then he came to us, this cosmic Christ. And then he became the head of the body of the church, this Jesus. And Apostle Paul's almost asking the church at Colossae and us to consider, like, who is this? That we get to be a part of the church through which he is the head. He is the one, he is the cosmic Christ. He's the way that person that opened the way to defeat death and to usher us into humanity. He is the cosmic king of the universe, whose majesty stretches uh, human vocabulary and human conception. He is that elevated, but he is so close to us that He is with us in the boat, in the uh, through the storms. He knows your needs. He says, peace be still. When storms comes into your life, the cosmic Christ is also the tender shepherd who is right by our side through thick and thin. And so, man, we get to be a part of this. And on Friday, like I said, I was in L.A. and I heard some stories from our international ministry there. And uh, one of the brothers, Yang, was sharing that Uh, about person after person after person that recently became Christian. Uh, These people were atheists. These people had no idea what the gospel was. And then the gospel was presented to them and they received it and they're taking steps to align with the gospel even at the expense of their family's disapproval and even cutting off ties with them. To that extent, the gospel is true. And man, we were marveling. That was a holy moment. All of us were stirred that we felt the privilege to be a part of the church of which jesus is the head of the body and we get to be uh, his laborers, uh, his co-workers may that not be lost on us in terms of what we get to do for him and so for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things by the blood of his cross and so it's through the cross that enables people to be reconciled, including those international students, uh, back to Him. Uh, just the gospel is an amazing thing. Um, that we are just granted this by faith in Jesus. We are just saved. We can't be more saved or less saved. You're just you believe in God, and you're just saved. You know, you know, like the analogy where when you really mess something up, and then somebody has to come and fix it. Have you ever? Done something like that? Like in computers, for example, you messed up your laptop, you know, you clicked on every scam link, (laughs) and now your computer is filled with viruses, and then someone who's a computer nerd who really knows what he's doing comes in there, don't worry, I'm going to fix it. There's something reassuring about that, right? And then you don't say, hey, can I help you? No, you go, no, it's okay, because your only contribution was to mess it up. And then you go, hey, you do your thing and you give me a clean slate and if it works, then praise you, you know? And it's like that. We messed up our lives and we have nothing that we can do to contribute. Jesus just comes, the cosmic Christ, He comes and He says, I'll fix it. Just take a step back and I'll fix it, just for free. Um, This is the gospel that Apostle Paul says came to us, the word of truth. And so, I want to end with this. Verse 6, the gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing. Yeah, that's what happens with the gospel. It bears fruit. It increases. The good news is hard to suppress. It's actually powerful. It's productive. It creates change. It moves. It goes viral all over the world and we must see to it that it continues not just among us but through us. This is the gospel truth, and what? Where are the fields to which he is calling you and I? And if you are part of our church, I think, as we've been mentioning throughout the year, like it starts with the college campus, and you know, I've been doing college ministry now almost wow, thirty years, and it's um, never, never has my I don't think I I can say this, that, that my zeal for sharing the gospel on college campuses never has it waned, you know? It's just like, in fact, over time, it's just I become more desperate because it's just become... It used to be fertile grounds to raise up future ministers. It's all in their mission statement to many of these schools. And it's just sad that the gospel is no longer proclaimed on these campuses, and I just find it just a privilege that we get to be the people that proclaim it, where there's like no one sharing that, and it's not just the gospel, like on college campuses, like you just, as God's leading us, um, you know, as as I shared uh, in, in, in high school, and high schools and middle schools, especially as we were in New York, and this summer, we're going to do a summer leadership camp there, and um, uh, Sonny and I are going to lead that, and then we're going to do uh, a Northeast Vision trip in New York City. And it's just because we know that people don't know the gospel among middle school and high schoolers. So we need to go there. Flannery O'Connor said that uh, there are a segment of youth that have uh, is like Christ haunted. And what he meant by that is, just a memory of what Christian faith once was because their parents brought the kids to, to church and it was such a bad experience or whatever. It was not a compelling group, and, but that's what they hold on to. So it's Christ haunted and we want to bring the gospel to them and we want to share these special talks and share the gospel message and do the good news events so that people will go, oh, that's what the gospel truth is. And we can do this. All of us, youth ministry has been suffering. And it's not just youth ministry. It's just any kind of ministry, right? College, youth, international. So the gospel must go. And this will require our labor, our toil, and a deep conviction that the gospel is truth and must bear fruit. And so, Apostle Paul says, I will proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone, He says, I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works in me. So if you are engaged in his work, this is what it's going to cost you. It's going to involve toil and struggling. It's not easy to present everyone mature in Christ and then share the gospel truth in an age where truth is no longer something that people affirm uh, and then much less be molded and shaped by it. So we need to be people who are affirmers of truth and it has to start with us. We need to be admonishable. We need to be teachable. We need to be the kind of people that love truth so that as it shapes us, then we can be the gospel bearers and go out and move forward in in hope and love so that others may know this wonderful gospel. This is the gospel that has come to us so let's just take a moment to share uh, before we just pray. You know, uh, what is the, the gospel truth? Like, how, what, how is God speaking to you? Like, what, what ways do you, do you, small ways and large, do you want the gospel to just, the, your life to align with it? Um, and especially, I think this would be appropriate time as we approach the summer and a new school year, um, I think it has some implications. So let's share about that before we have our closing song.